five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA. We're going to be talking about printing today. Of course, mail will get stuck in there somehow. But anyway, before we do, let's have some fun and let's get over to this EasyJet cam uh, new campaign where the art tour is about the art touring Europe, not Europe, not touring Europe to see the art. Uh, I think it's pretty good. So here it comes. There's the Mona Lisa. She's flying to Athens. There's Michelangelo's David. There's uh, the thinker. Get the artist, what else? There's uh, Vermeer's girl with the pearl earring. Cherubs, but I don't know. Oh no! Anyway, so I think that was pretty good. So, uh, especially in a 30-second spot, my oh my. So let's uh, let's read about it, as they say, right? Let's read about the campaign. And uh, here we go. The girl with the pearl earrings hits the beach with an EasyJet campaign. The new ad takes famous paintings and sculptures on a tour of Europe. So the, the art tours Europe instead of the tourists touring the art. I think that's so funny. This shot as, isn't actually in the video, I don't think. <clears throat> anyway, so uh, Vermeer's Girl with the Pearl Earring, uh, the agency is VCCP London, they're flipping the script, imagining iconic paintings and sculptures coming to life taking their own vacations. So this is the Mona Lisa by Michelangelo, no, by uh, by Leonardo da Vinci, sorry. Um, so the campaign kicked off with a 30 spot, second spot, Get Out There, directed by Patrick Daughters and uh, Rodan, that's it, the thinker, Michelangelo's David, obviously, uh, obviously some iconic stuff. So. Anna Marquez and Tomas Azabel Lima told Adweek, we, and I like their comments, we chose characters that live in Europe so we could show them in unexpected locations um, and always in destinations EasyJet flies to and from. Okay, we wanted to bring to life the benefits of travel in a way that felt distinctive for EasyJet, so we thought we could enlist the help of famous characters who've been stuck in the same place <laughs> for ages. They've seen millions of tourists. Now it's their turn to tour Europe. I thought that was really, really good. Uh, you know, in, in some ways, this may be better. The brief may be better than the ad, you know, because it goes by pretty fast. Um, with this campaign, we have redefined the role of advertising at EasyJet and taken it back to fundamental marketing principles, you know, which is maybe, you know, getting attention, salience. Uh, EasyJet does get mentioned a few times, although I would like to see it more of course and um you know the the problem is they're in their destinations well they're coming off the airplanes or getting on the airplanes i guess it isn't too bad uh, i should watch it again but anyway um they said that uh, distinctiveness is a challenge because you know you show the destinations and you try to get people to imagine going there but it's hard to get emotional so they thought that they got more emotion and memorable and got more memorable than 
uh, we've ever been before. And that may be true. And so that was a, well, I just thought it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Um, and, um, you know, the show notes will be down at WDMA.org. Uh, how do you think the AI, that AI will affect the printing industry? This is from uh, Matthew Parker. And he put up this survey, and, he, and 6% said not at all, 16% said minimally, so about a quarter said really not much. Uh, 43% said more in design and artwork, and then 35%, so this is just two-thirds. Let's see, 43, and that's about 66%. Yeah, I guess it is. Okay, we'll have a major effect. Um, so uh, why the printing industry isn't ready for artificial intelligence. Okay, they got 143 votes, which is pretty good. I've never gotten that many votes on my surveys. Nearly a quarter of, a mil of the respondents said that it would have no or little effect. And 40% thought the effects would be seen in design and artwork. So two-thirds didn't think it would really affect the printing per se. But AI is already affecting many printing companies unknown to them uh, so the first question is do you use imposition software you know that helps you position the print on on the page or on the plate uh, helps you set images in uh, when you have dynamic printing runs right uh, I mean we've been using address checking for decades it's not really AI you know that's the trouble with this you know is a is a program that works well is that AI well actually AI was coined well before machine learning and it kind of encompasses anything that can computers can do that that can replace a human being so much of the content that will be supplied to you for printing will soon be generated by AI and you know there are there are interesting copyright issues. So if you print something that's plagiarized from other copyrighted material, is the printer liable? Don't know. Good question. Something you should think about. I, uh, I may do a, a copyright story tomorrow related to AI, and I think I probably will now that I've connected it with this. So... Um, Few people seem to be thinking about that at the moment. The reality is that AI is set to have major impact on the industry, and you, you know, you probably won't see it coming. I saw a funny post about trying to 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 portray a turkey. It was on LinkedIn, uh, and just asking AI to illustrate a turkey, and she was trying to portray a turkey, and it turned out that she had to specify two legs. Because, you know, where does it look? It looks on the internet and finds pictures of or even recipes for how to make a turkey look like it's, uh, you know, when, when you bake it, look like it's got multiple drumsticks. People like drumsticks, right? Uh, turkey can be fairly dry. And um, so anyway, uh, it, it, it didn't work out. And... I'm going to keep looking for it while I go here. So, you know, it's not quite there yet in a lot of ways, even for creative. Uh, and um, the industry on the copyrighted article is trying to come up with watermarks to to indicate that 
AI was used to write a, a doc, write a document or an article. I think that's a, a pretty good idea. Yeah, LinkedIn isn't working worth a darn. Um, anyway, let's go on. Quad, Quad's rebrand from legacy printer to marketing maker. Okay, and this was by Chris Ahrens uh, in Adweek. At 2 million square feet, a former canning factory in Lemire, Wisconsin, is the largest printing plant in the world. This was from 1985. Um, I remember when that plant opened. Um, Gloria Steinem was asked what's, how she felt about her magazine being printed alongside Playboy, and she replied, I think it's only fitting that the same presses that print the poison also print the antidote. She was a creative thinker. I got to give her that. And uh, and there's you know some truth to it, I suppose. Maybe I don't think it worked out the way she would have expected. Um, so so what happened next? Uh, it was better to become the consolidator, or the cons or the consolidating is going to be done to us. And uh, so so you know I met Harry. In order to meet Harry, I dressed up my, my Honda scooter, 50cc scooter, and I drove it a few miles over to the Stone Bank 4th of July parade um, because I knew that Harry always rode his Harley with the sidecar in the parade. And I got there before the parade started, and I, I rolled up next to Harry, and I said, uh, you know, I really think I could help you guys with data. And I, I'm actually capable of, of, um, of increasing circulation with data, unlike almost all the other modelers. And he said, give me a call, and uh, I'll, my, I'll have my assistant looking for you. And so we ended up doing some work with Quad. Uh, independent of that, I think that was after we'd already done a project to try to teach um, quad clients about I don't know there was a couple of projects we did but anyway Harry ended up dying drowning uh, on his morning swim and um, so it all kind of evaporated Harry was really interested in in partnerships and all kinds of you know he was a very open guy and I've written to Joel a number of times I've reached out to Joel a number of times um, you know, I've gotten referred to people that basically said, we know how to do all of this stuff. I don't think it's true. Uh, our mutual clients, we've had many, maybe a dozen mutual clients where I either doubled the circulation of people, you know, from a half a million a month to a million a month, or I helped them not cut their circulation in recessions. But, but anyway, uh, Joel's team knows everything. And that's kind of the reputation they have around the industry. Um, and Joel said, I did everything my father told me not to do, uh, which was going public, buying broken down printing companies. And uh, and here's how the stock's gone since Joel took over and went public. Uh, it's, it started out at 46, and it's been hovering around $5.00 for a while now you know this is 2017 it was up at about 20 about half the value and now it's about a quarter of the value or less it's almost 10 percent of the value now it's a little more than that but not 20 percent of the value so um 
I don't think from a shareholder standpoint it's been doing great. I wondered what you guys thought about it out there in the print world. Um, I did get a tour of um, Colony's catalog production facility, and about half of it is a, is a warehouse dedicated to like individual items that are going to be in their suite of catalogs, um, which was cool. I mean, it wasn't the fulfillment warehouse. It was just a warehouse and a system for keeping track of all the new items coming in that need to be photographed and and uh, and documented and the old items you know probably going out to a thrift shop or something because you know when you photograph items a lot of times you know you have to spray them up to reduce the shine on one corner or something like that and so they're not really um, they're not really brand new when you finish shooting with them um, but anyway, I was really impressed. It was, it was uh, Colony had gotten, I, I think, an old grocery store down in Monroe, or Monroe, as some of the natives call it. And, um, and Russ gave me a tour of it. And um, it was a number of years ago. But they had brought in Quad. I think Quad was already working with L.L. Bean at the time. Uh, in the article, they talk about working with Cabela's. I thought that made an enormous amount of sense. Um, because, you know, one of the things we would do is we would take the items to a photographer and, um, and there were huge, you talk about consolidators, there were huge, um, in the heyday in 1985, uh, photography studios that would build, that would do the creative process for catalogs. I remember going down to Chicago and, and, and touring one, I don't remember the name of it, but it was like a city block, um, not too far from our, our Donnelly's Lakeside plant. And um, it was funny, the, the, the president of the creative company said, you know, and they had whole rooms of, that looked like a bedroom, it look, it look, you know, like maybe an early American bedroom or a colonial bedroom or an ultra modern bedroom. And they would do, you know, they would set up and they had beds set up and they would do the sheets and the bedspreads and the throw pillows and the, and the settee or whatever. And um, they said, you know, at the time they were doing Spiegel and they were also doing like J.C. Penney, I think. And uh, that's when I learned that J.C. Penney never came on photo shoots. They would, they had a manual and he showed me the manual and they, you know, they would say, you know, business career woman or homemaker woman or, you know, or teacher or, you know, they would give these personas and they would describe the personas and how their hair should be done and how their makeup should be done and how the lighting should be done. And they did all that. And then they would just say, well, for this item, use this persona. And for this item, use that persona. It was all very, very uh, well thought out. Uh, so we stopped sending our creative team on the photo shoots where they s sat around smoking cigarettes and eating snacks all day. Um, yeah, it wasn't very productive. But anyway, they said, you know, pennies would come to them and say, we want it, we want our shots to look more like Spiegel. You know, there was, those are so arty and ours are so kind of static looking, you know, plain. And so they would do a couple of shots like Spiegel and the pennies, you know, creative team would say, well, yeah, we like this, but, you know, the pillows are kind of all cockeyed. Could you straighten the pillows and the bed, you know, it's all got wrinkles. It's all wrinkly. Could you straighten the bed out a little bit? And these curtains don't seem to match very well with the thing, you know. 
And of course, those were all specs that Spiegel used because they wanted to look artistic, you know, so it didn't look all symmetrical and all perfectly coordinated and that sort of thing. And he said, it's so funny how working with these big catalog houses, how if different it, it came out. But one of the challenges in that process was how do you make the, how do you make the item which you, you see in a certain color with certain lighting, how do you make that item work on a printing press? And in those days, you know, we used to, we used to try to mess with stuff, you know, where, you know, as a print, as a, a catalog goes through, you might be printing 48 pages at a time, right? And so you say, and this was on offset presses, you say, well, could you bring the red up a little on this particular page? It might be upside down, it might be sideways, you know, so so the red, if you brought the red up on a couple of jets, it would put a, like a red streak across all 48 pages or or all or eight of the pages. And, you know, some of the people would look like they had just, you know, been out in the sun too long and stuff, and it would screw other pages up. And after a while, you realized you just couldn't do it. And so we just, you know, we gave up on sending them to the press okays also. But it always made sense to me that, or, or you know, one of the challenges was that what you saw in the real world and what the photographer took based on lighting, et cetera, and what the printing press printed, you know, with dot gain and with different kinds of papers and all this different stuff, you know, it was like, well, it's too bad we can't control this better, but you couldn't. Uh, you know, it was better once it got all digital. I mean, we were even, we would even play with the separations, you know, because uh, they could do proofs with the separations and you could, you know, you could heighten the red or, or the, or the green or the blue. Uh, um, well, that's, that's in, that's in digital. In print, it's red, yellow, blue. <laughs> It's, that's one of the reasons it's different is light the three primary colors are red green blue right rgb but in but in ink it's red yellow blue or red yellow cyan or red or cyan magenta and whatever anyway so you know it doesn't make any sense it's very very difficult it was always difficult we didn't care that much because you know i was mo mostly doing the creative and business to business but it always made sense to me that you could get the photographer and the and the printer on the same page so anyway they they say that they sit now in 90 marketing departments around the world albertson safeways uh you know grocery stores uh, in the case of Cabela's, we save them probably 30% of their cost when we set up internally and 40% of the time. Here are their, their logo changes. 2019, they went to this. Um, they got rid of the graphics in 2019. Now it's just this, and I think it's really ugly and dull. And I couldn't believe it. I was not sure when I tagged them whether this was even quad graphics at all whether it was Quad, it looked like another company. And there are many companies that use the name Quad. So anyway, Josh Golden is the new CMO, and uh, he's trying to figure out the story that makes us special. You know, it, and it's hard to say. You know, is it a, a printer that's lost its way and decided to go digital? Or is it um, a creative company that's good at all the, the, the pieces and pulling them together? It's hard to say. It's hard for me to say. Um it's very, very, very hard to say. I know that they've got some partnerships going. Um, I'm not allowed to say with whom. Uh, 
But anyway, never waste an uncomfortable economic environment because that's when our clients need the help the most. And I've, I've seen that in my career. That's from Joel. Marketers I talk to say, okay, my budget's being cut, but I have to be more effective. And that plays right into both sides of our offering, he says. Anyway, I think it makes sense. This was interesting. Quadrachi, whose family maintains 80% of voting control of the publicly traded company, even though the family stake is now around 30%. So they got 30% of the stock, but they've got 80% of the board, it sounds like. So anyway, uh, they've certainly kept control. It hasn't really hurt them too much, except in the price of their stock. Um, and when people come to hear the story, uh, Julie Curry says, from Nielsen, says, um, they say, well, why haven't we heard about these things? So... Anyway, um, the catalog, in-store, and direct mail businesses continue to chug on, but I don't know if that they're a priority. I'm not sure they've been a priority for the last few decades. Anyway, uh, Quad Gracchi says it's maker culture, it's hard stuff, it's taking hard stuff and making it simple. So I'm I'm really curious about what you think. You know, many of my WDMA uh, supporters are printers and I welcome your thoughts. Have a great day. Like and share. Go over for the story. Excellent story in ad week. Maybe the stock will go up. Bye-bye.